title of this morning's message, A Word on the Demise of Roe v. Wade. Not an exposition, but our founding text is rightly Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. For nearly 50 years, murder became the so-called constitutional right of our Land And for nearly 50 years, a genocide of the unborn continued day after day after day in America's abortion clinics. Baby boys and baby girls created in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them. We are all image bearers of God from conception, created in the image of God with an eternal soul. From conception, a human being with the rights of a human being, the God-given certain unalienable right to life. Praise God, June 24th, 2022 was a historic day of God's grace upon America. Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, Donald Trump's Supreme Court. I know it's not popular to mention the name of Donald Trump out loud in polite circles, in social circles. But indeed, it is the grace of God to use men to affect righteousness. It's the grace of God to use even unrighteous men to affect righteousness. It is a truly historic and amazing answered prayer. And if you have not been praying it, then you have not been praying against the greatest evil of our day. If you have been praying it like me, then you've been praying it with a, a mustard seed of faith. And yet it seemed near unto impossible it seemed, and I verbalized many times, that it would be a miracle, or at least a near miracle, for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. And we have lived to see that happen in our lifetime. Praise God. It is a huge blow against the culture of death that has prevailed in America since January 22nd, 1973, nearly my entire life. And praise God now toward the latter end of my life. I trust I have many years left, but I'm well over that, that hump, I think, on the way down the hill, over the hill, they say. But toward the latter end of my life, this has been overthrown. And we need to reflect upon this grace. We need to reflect upon the means of this grace in order that we might see more grace, in order that we might see more righteousness prevail in our land, in order that we might see more blessings in our Land. Now, this message would not be preached in most pulpits in America today, unfortunately, which is why, which is why lawlessness, which is why murder prevailed for nearly 50 years. Because this message is considered too political, too controversial to preach in the pulpit. We wouldn't want to offend anyone. Hear me. I want to offend you today if you support the slaughter of the unborn. I mean to offend you today if you support the slaughter of the unborn. You need to repent. You need to confess Christ as Lord. And I want you to be offended by your own sin because God is offended by your sin. If you support the slaughter of the unborn, if you vote for those who legislate the slaughter of the unborn, then God is offended. And you must repent. For God is a just judge and he's angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7, 11. And we don't define murder. God defines murder. We don't define humanity. God defines humanity. We don't get to decide a baby's not a baby till the baby breathes his or her first breath. Of course, we don't really believe that as a society. Because if a mom wants her baby and a man murders a mother who is pregnant, the man will be prosecuted for two crimes, the murder of two human beings in virtually every state in America. The states that don't prosecute him for the murder of two human beings will prosecute him for the murder of one human being and in some form or another, the unlawful taking of life, manslaughter or some lesser crime, which is, again, a crime against the child to make that life less valuable. Even in most states, if a mother murders her own child in the home, if she aborts her own child in the home, but not in the abortion clinic, she can 
be prosecuted, but you walk through the doors of the abortion clinic and suddenly you have the right with the aid of doctors and nurses to burn to death, to surgically dissect and remove a baby from the mother's womb, and we consider that lawful. Some of you are very new to our church and our abortion ministry. Let me give you a bit of personal historical perspective. We here are committed to ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have ministered the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ at Portland, Oregon's murderous abortion clinics for nearly 10 years. Praise God, we have seen many, many babies rescued. Under the growing tyranny of the radical left during Barack Obama's administration, I personally was threatened with up to a year in prison and tens of thousands of dollars of family-crushing fines for my abortion clinic ministry here in Portland, Oregon. It was no idle threat. A duly elected, radical, God-hating leftist Oregon state official by the name of Brad Avakian, former labor commissioner, sent a registered letter with the Oregon state seal to my home. I had to sign for this letter at my front door. The same leftist tyrant famously fined a Gresham, Oregon bakery, Sweet Cakes, $135,000 and shut them down for graciously quoting the Bible and declining to bake a cake for a lesbian wedding. And that was before homosexual or lesbian marriage was even legal in the state of Oregon. In 2016, with the near certain election of Hillary Clinton looming, my family and I were preparing for severe financial hardship and prison. And then something totally unexpected happened. God had undeserved mercy on our nation. Against all odds, Hillary Clinton and her vast political machine failed. Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. That changed everything. The Oregon state official, Brad Avakian, and his very real threats of fines and prison disappeared. They evaporated. The 2016 presidential election wasn't just another election of another compromising pro-life Republican president. It was the election of a passionate defender of our God-given constitutional freedoms. It was the election of a president who sent his personal constitutional lawyer, Jenna Ellis, to stand with Pastor John MacArthur and Christ Church against leftist church-closing tyranny. It was the election of a president who passionately defended the First Amendment that gives ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ the freedom to minister God's word, God's law, and God's gospel in every state, in every city, in every venue, on every street, and outside every abortion clinic from sea to shining sea. On a very personal level, it was the election of a president who kept me free to serve Christ in the local church, to preach Christ in the streets of Portland, to minister God's law and gospel for the saving of sinners and rescuing of babies in Portland, and to come home to my wife and children at night who haven't been impoverished by exorbitant fines or forced to visit their husband and father behind prison bars. And so elections matter. Voting matters. For those who don't live in the leftist state of Oregon and minister the gospel in Portland, who have never received a letter from their local radical leftist with a real threat of fines and imprisonment, who haven't talked with thousands of mothers outside of abortion clinics, who haven't seen powerless fathers weeping for their baby outside of abortion clinics, who haven't heard mothers crying as they walk through the doors of death to slaughter their baby, who haven't been threatened with the huge fines in prison, who don't really seem to care in any demonstrable way that babies are dying, children are being perverted and mutilated, and atheistic communist globalism is spreading in the earth, elections don't really matter because they don't feel the difference. They're going along with the flow of the world. They're not standing up for Jesus. They're not standing up and ministering the law of God, the standard of morality, the standard of good and evil. They're not standing up and ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only means of salvation for sinners. They have fallen silent regarding God's law and God's gospel. Therefore, they're at no conflict. They're not at odds with a culture and government officials that oppose God, oppose righteousness, oppose Christ and his gospel. Therefore, elections come and go, presidents come and go, representatives, senators, justices, judges come and go, and it doesn't really affect them that much other than casual irritation. Most Professing Christians experience some casual irritation, perhaps, that conservatism is not prevailing and liberalism is prevailing. Or perhaps even as of late, they recognize that liberalism 
or straight up socialism or straight up full on anti-Americanism is destroying our economy and thus it's hitting their wallet every time they go to the gas station or they go to the grocery and thus they are put out, they are irritated. But I stand before you today to remind you that elections matter, voting matters. Those who reign over us either reign for righteousness or reign for evil. And no one reigns perfectly for righteousness, for there are no perfect righteous rulers. There are no perfect righteous legislators or presidents or justices or judges. And yet, and yet we must vote for he or she who is the most righteous or the least evil option on the ballot who can be elected. A word on the demise of Roe v. Wade. That was a bit of personal word. A word on the demise of Roe v. Wade to never trump Christians, whom I love, whom I love, brothers and sisters in Christ. A word for never trump Christians. What were you thinking? What are you thinking now? Praise God, some never trump Christians have hit the pause button, have stopped to consider and thought, you know what, I was wrong. I was wrong. That was the right choice. I was wrong. Given the opportunity, I would vote for him again. And some did vote for him the second time as the best option of those who were running. And unfortunately, some are yet doubling down. Some in prominent leadership are yet saying, I am still never Trump. I will never vote for Donald Trump. And even some, some in light of recent history, in light of wokeism, in light of social justice, morality invading Christ's church or immorality, depending on how you want to define it, some are saying even it's now the right thing to vote for the likes of a Hillary Clinton or a Joe Biden versus a conservative or Republican or pro-life or pro-biblical marriage candidate. And that's moral madness. As a presidential candidate, Donald Trump was opposed by Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and every other pro-abortion, pro-baby genocide group on the planet. Donald Trump promised he would appoint Supreme Court justices that would overturn Roe v. Wade, and he did. He did. Donald Trump did what he said he would do. Hillary Clinton was backed and funded by Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and every other pro-baby genocide group on the planet. Hillary Clinton promised to support abortion, including partial birth abortion up to nine months, and to labor to appoint murderous Supreme Court justices with every ounce of her evil being, and so did Joe Biden. The moral choice was clear for every genuine Christian. Christians don't support the slaughter of the unborn. There is ridicule in some professed Christian circles against being one-issue voters. Are you kidding me? There's a genocide ongoing. Millions of babies are murdered every single year. Nearly 70 million babies since Roe versus Wade have been cruelly slaughtered in America's abortion clinics. Yes, we are one-issue voters in many instances. Either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election was going to be elected the next president of the United States. Either Donald Trump or Joe Biden in the 2020 election was going to be elected the president of the United States. The moral and logical choice was easy. I and millions of other Christians voted for Donald Trump and didn't have to hold our nose to do so. Both before and after the election, many never-Trump Christians mocked their fellow Christian Trump supporters slash voters as ignorant, foolish, stupid, immoral, biblically illiterate, etc. They prophetically claimed Trump is lying, that Roe v. Wade won't be overturned, and, quote, you're stupid if you believe it will. President Trump wasn't lying. The never-Trump Christians have been demonstrably proven to be false prophets. Praise God, Donald Trump was a man of his word. Did I know, did anyone know for certain when they voted for him that he was a man of his word on this issue? No, no, absolutely not. But we did know that Hillary, we did know that Joe 
would keep their word. We did know that Planned Parenthood, we did know that Nerol weren't lying. Again, the moral and logical choice was easy. The war against America's baby genocide isn't over. But as of June 24th, because of President Trump, our Gettysburg defeat of the Democratic Party's demonic culture of death was brought to pass. And today, many states are abolishing abortion. Given the opportunity, I'll enthusiastically vote for Donald Trump again and pray to our gracious God that he's pleased to use a non-Christian, non-abolitionist man to incrementally and totally abolish abortion in the same way he was pleased to use a non-Christian, non-abolitionist Abraham Lincoln to incrementally and totally abolish slavery. He who affects the most abolition is the greatest abolitionist. President Abraham Lincoln was the greatest slavery abolitionist in the history of America. President Donald Trump is the greatest abortion abolitionist in the history of America. It's time for Never Trump Christians to admit their error and pray for another opportunity to vote for Donald Trump, unarguably the greatest abortion abolitionist to ever serve as the President of the United States. We've had many so-called conservative Republican pro-life presidents since Roe v. Wade, but how many of them, how many of them placed justices on the Supreme Court that affected or even attempted to affect the overturn of Roe v. Wade? In the ultimate sense, voting has always been a choice between evil men. In fact, choosing between two men for anything has always been a choice between two evil men, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and none are righteous, no, not one. And so in the ultimate sense, it's always a choice between two evil men. Is it really evil to choose the lesser of two evils? You remember that? The never Trump cry was, the lesser of two evils is still evil. Well, if that never Trump cry was true, you could never vote again, ever If that never-Trump cry was true, then every vote for every conservative, for every man or woman that most closely represented a biblical worldview, most closely stood for righteousness, every single vote was still a vote for evil, for not one of them was a truly righteous man or woman. And so is the never-Trump cry, the lesser of two evils is still evil, is that a true statement? Yes, And no, yes, of course, you must choose one fallen, imperfect, sinful, evil man over another. No, of course, it's not evil to choose the less evil man to rule and thus stop the more evil man from ruling and carrying out more evil. If you zealously hold your seemingly moral high ground that choosing the lesser of two evils is evil, then you're condemning every vote for any and every fallen, sinful human being in history. And far worse, you're condemning God who chose Jacob over Esau for a considerably higher eternal election, and who chose David over Saul as the sovereign king of Israel. Consider God's choice of Saul and David for national leader, if you will, of Israel. With full omniscience, seeing the end of a man's life as clearly as the beginning, God chose Saul, a rebellious necromancer, to be king of Israel. God later rejected Saul and chose another in his place. With full omniscience, God chose David, a man that he knew would be recklessly unengaged as a father, a man that he knew would be an adulterous husband, a man that he knew would treacherously murder the valiant and faithful warrior Uriah after committing adultery with his wife. It has always been a choice between two evil men. God chose one evil man over the other. And God used David, ultimately a very sinful man, a man only saved by grace, a man who, praise God, did in the Psalms cry out to God that he would forgive him, that he would cleanse him, that he would wash his sins away, and that he would become a a preacher of God's grace and God's forgiveness to others. But David, like all men, has fallen short of the glory of God. David, like all men, is a sinner before a holy God and saved only by grace alone. And by the 
Never Trump standard. Uh, David is far worse than Donald Trump morally, and thus God should not have elected, God should not have chosen David to be king of Israel. The never Trump standard seems to be Jesus Christ himself. Only Jesus will do. Give us Jesus or nothing. And friends, in a fallen world, that cannot be our standard for our vote. We must vote for the lesser of two evils. And hear me, had President Trump not been ardently pro-life, had he not effectively installed justices that brought about the demise of Roe v. Wade, he still would have been the obvious moral choice. At worst, he would have been neutral on abortion. And Hillary Clinton was a radical pro-abortion, pro-baby murder, pro-genocide activist. Planned Parenthood bragged that she was the most abortion-supporting presidential candidate to ever run for the office. And Hillary Clinton, for the first time, stood before America on national television and said she supports the murder of the unborn child up through the ninth month. She supports partial birth abortion. And so the choice was clear. If we had time, we do not. We could look to 1 Samuel chapter 15, 24 through 26. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 10 through 13. And see how God chose Saul, a sinful man, as king over Israel, then rejected Saul and chose David to take his place, the man who would, in the future, which God knew, of course, as God is omniscient, of the past and the present and the future, all at one time, a man who would be an adulterer and a murderer. And so, let us consider that. America is not the theocratic kingdom of Israel. God does not send prophets to call or remove or replace or anoint America's kings. America is a uniquely and providentially blessed nation. American Christians are blessed with the opportunity to endeavor to biblically, prayerfully, and thoughtfully Choose the lesser of two evils with their vote. When many chose Ted Cruz over Donald Trump in the primary election, they were choosing the idolatrous Ted Cruz over the immoral Donald Trump. You say, what? The idolatrous Ted Cruz? Yes. Yes, Ted Cruz was not a genuine Christian. Many Christians were, were saying, he, he, is our, he is our Christian candidate. Really? Is he our Christian candidate? It'd be great to have a genuine Christian candidate. It would. But is he a genuine Christian candidate? Who is Ted Cruz? Who were his partners politically? Who was his greatest supporter politically when he was running for office in that primary election? It was Glenn Beck. He was constantly associated with Glenn Beck and going on Glenn Beck's show and Glenn Beck showing up at his rallies and so forth. And Glenn Beck, of course, is a Mormon. Glenn Beck has a false Christ with a false gospel. Glenn Beck's Christ was a man who became a god to show us as men how to become gods and you as women how to become perpetually pregnant goddesses. That's Mormonism. And Glenn Beck prayed with and for Ted Cruz with Ted Cruz's permission, and Glenn Beck even went so far as to pronounce a prophecy from Joseph Smith being fulfilled in God's servant, Ted Cruz. So Glenn Beck declared to the United States of America that Ted Cruz, as the fulfillment of Joseph Smith, would be prophet of God, that he is the fulfillment of his prophecy. And Ted Cruz received all that gladly. In addition, Ted Cruz's father was instrumental in his campaign and traveled with him and spoke at his events. Ted Cruz's father is ministry partners with Benny Hinn and Benny Hinn's wife, TBN Heretics. And so was Ted Cruz the obvious Christian choice because he was a Christian? No, he wasn't a genuine Christian. He professed to be a Christian. I appreciate that he ascribes to a biblical worldview in many ways and in much of what he considers to be right and wrong, good and evil. He's on the right biblical side of, I appreciate that, but was he the Christian choice? No, ultimately he, he's an idolater. I mean, was he a Christ, the Christian choice because he is the righteous man? No, neither are righteous. Neither are righteous. It was a choice of the lesser of two evils.
and so that choice was made in the primary, and thus President Trump became the candidate in the general, and that was an easy choice in comparison to Hillary Clinton, who we knew was telling the truth. We knew Hillary was 100% for the murder, dismemberment, discarding, and or selling of crushed and mutilated babies. We knew Hillary Clinton thinks Margaret Sanger is a hero. And we knew that Margaret Sanger said, quote, our objective is unlimited sexual gratification without the burden of unwanted children. Women must have the right to live, to love, to be lazy, to be an unmarried mother, to create, to destroy. The marriage bed is the most degenerative influence in the social order. The most merciful thing that a family does to one of its infant members is to kill it, unquote. We knew Hillary loves Nerol, and Nerol was telling the truth about Hillary. We knew Hillary loves Planned Parenthood, and Planned Parenthood was infatuated with Hillary and was most definitely telling the truth about Hillary's propensities to support the murder of the unborn. Matthew 22, 37-40 tells us that the love of God and the love of neighbor, the summation of the law, this is the first commandment, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the summation of God's law. It was our Christian duty to love God and the millions of unborn neighbors created in His image by holding to a never-bloody Hillary position and voting for the obvious lesser of two evils, Donald Trump. I really couldn't fathom any Christian in light of these two choices being a hashtag never Trumper all over Twitter and everywhere else they could put it, their car and t-shirts and, are you kidding me? No, hashtag never partial birth abortion Hillary. That was the obvious moral choice. I've never seen Christianity so confused, the body of Christ so demented in its thinking regarding an election. And praise God, those who were demented, those who could not see moral clarity, failed. And those that could see moral clarity succeeded. And thus today, today, Roe v. Wade is overturned. Today, America is not a nation in which people can claim that murdering unborn children is a constitutional right. Do you know what President Trump did on his last Sunday, his very last Sunday, as President of the United States. Do you know what he did better than any president since January 22nd, 1973? President Trump did more than any other president since Roe v. Wade to humanize unborn babies and stop Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry's genocide of countless millions of babies. In the midst of the Democratic Party's communist insurrection, while the Republican Coward counterparts and their co-conspirators and their propaganda mainstream press were seditiously impeaching him with astoundingly hypocritical and fallacious charges of insurrection. And while big tech was revoking his First Amendment right to freedom of speech and his ability to communicate directly with the American people, President Trump took one last stand against abortion and for the plight of the unborn. That might have got jumbled up in your minds. So let me just remind you, there was a war on and the left was coming for President Trump and they started their January 6th insurrection trial way back then and tried to impeach a president. For the second time, based upon those charges, Twitter removed the president, a sitting president, from its platform and denied him free speech on their platform. The government was in great turmoil. Uh, Votes were being counted and recounted. And on President Trump's very last Sunday, he took one last stand against abortion and for the plight of the unborn. He saw the anniversary of Roe v. Wade coming January 22, 1973. He knew he'd be out of office and new partial birth abortion Biden wouldn't be honoring the National Sanctity of Human Life Day. So he released a statement on his final Sunday as President of the United States to establish that Sunday as the National Sanctity of Human Life Day. Do I wish President Trump did much more? Absolutely. 
Did he do more than any other president? Absolutely. Did he do it even when he had nothing to gain? Absolutely. And so what does that tell you? That tells you that he was the right choice. What does that tell you? Should we have the opportunity again between him and President Biden or anyone else the Democratic Party puts up that will be a staunch supporter of the slaughter of the unborn, that he is the moral choice? Absolutely, the choice is clear. And so a word on the demise of Roe v. Wade to never trump Christians, genuine brothers and sisters who got confused in the midst of all the turmoil and all of the wokeness and social justice so-called that came into the church. Never before has the Christian vote been so confused or the Christian voter so confused. A word of the demise of Roe v. Wade to abortion abolition Christians. Abortion abolition Christians. Again, dear brothers and sisters in Christ who I'm thankful for, they want to see the abolition of abortion as do I. In in many ways, I am an abortion abolition Christian. And yet, some of my brothers and sisters in the abolition movement are so committed to the abolitionist dogma that they can't even celebrate the demise of Roe v. Wade, and something's tragically wrong with that. God defines the beginning of human life. God defines murder. The Bible is clear that human life begins at conception, and the taking of unborn human life is murder. God's law explicitly commands you shall not murder. If you support the murder of unborn human beings created in God's image, you're not a Christian. You're a murderer in the eyes of God. Murderers are not Christians. Our Christian abortion abolitionist friends are not rejoicing in the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Why? Because they see it as incrementalism. And they've been taught that all incrementalism is evil, kind of like voting for the lesser of two evils is still evil, was the never Trump disposition. Well, the abortion abolitionist disposition is voting for any politician or any law that is incremental in bringing about the abolition of abortion is still evil because it's not a full abolition now. Do we desire the full abolition of abortion now? Absolutely. Do we desire laws to be passed that stop the murder of babies after six months? Oh, absolutely. Do we desire laws that stop the murder of babies after three months? Oh, absolutely. Do we desire laws that stop the murder of babies after a heartbeat, the heartbeat bills? Absolutely. Do we desire that those laws would would not have loopholes that are so wide open that ultimately the laws are meaningless? Absolutely. Do we desire that, that rape not be a justification for murder? Absolutely, yes. Two wrongs does not make a right. Do we want to put someone to death for rape? Well, if we do, it's the rapist, not the baby, right? The baby is not evil, and God is the author of life, not a rapist. And so we don't sanction murder. Either murder is murder, or it's not murder. So we don't sanction murder in some instances. We uphold the truth. You shall not murder from conception. However, however, God is pleased to use bent sticks to draw straight lines. God is pleased to use sinful men to enact righteousness. God is pleased to use incremental laws to bring about righteousness. For instance, the Lord is pleased to overthrow slavery with a non-Christian, non-abolitionist, President Lincoln. And he was pleased to overthrow Roe versus Wade with a non-Christian, non-abolitionist, President Trump. Six years ago, there was a never-ending chorus of never-Trump wannabe Christian prophets who boldly asserted Roe v. Wade will not be overthrown. They were wrong. 
The Lord is pleased to use a non-Christian, non-abolitionist president to bring a final end to slavery through incremental steps. The Lord may well be pleased to use non-Christian and non-Christian, non-abolitionist representative, senator, governor, Supreme Court justices, and the second term of President Donald Trump to bring a final end to abortion in America through incremental steps. If today's trendy abolitionist dogma of incrementalism is evil, quote unquote, all or nothing, quote unquote, vote only for Christian abolitionist candidates, quote unquote, had prevailed in Lincoln's day, we never would have had a non-Christian, non-abolitionist President Lincoln who incrementally brought an end to slavery. Think about that. If they held the same absolute abolitionist position in the era of slavery, then President Lincoln could not have gotten elected. And slavery would not have ended, at least not through President Lincoln at that time. If today's trendy abolitionist dogma of incrementalism is evil, all or nothing, vote only for Christian abolitionist candidates had prevailed in 2016, we never would have had a non-Christian, non-abolitionist President Trump who incrementally brought about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. God is pleased to graciously draw incrementally straight abolitionist lines with bent, non-Christian, abolitionist sticks. Praise God. Jesus Christ's Great Commission commands, uh, command matters most. Hear that again. Jesus Christ's Great Commission command matters most. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the mission to save, seek and save the lost is the hill to die on. For love of God and love of neighbor, we go, we stand, we preach God's law and God's gospel, pulpit, street, abortion clinic, workplace, everywhere. Preaching God's law and gospel everywhere to every man, every woman, every child is our primary mission and the ultimate solution to every evil. However, voting matters too, brothers and sisters. Evil men and women are crying and righteous men and women are rejoicing all across America and around the world because God used President Donald Trump to overturn Roe v. Wade. For love of God and love of neighbor, vote for the candidate on the ballot who can actually win the election and who most closely upholds the biblical worldview and will preserve the freedom for you to go stand and preach God's law and God's gospel. Consider, if you will, this imagery. Imagine standing outside a large burning daycare center that houses 2,500 babies. As you know, about 2,500 babies die every day in America's abortion clinics. The fire is consuming the building. You can feel the intense heat of the flames. You can hear the cries of the babies being consumed. If nothing is done immediately, all 2,500 babies will die. One fireman sees the need for action and quickly suggests a plan that will potentially rescue 500 to 800 precious babies. Before they can go into action, someone zealously yells out, That's evil! You're choosing some babies over the rest. It's all or nothing. The plan to rescue 500 to 800 babies is immediately shot down as incremental and thus an evil solution because it prioritizes some babies for rescuing and tragically but unavoidably leaves other babies to die and the building keeps burning. Another fireman readily and sacrificially steps up and lays out a clear and undeniably wise plan with several steps that will likely result in the rescuing of 1,000 to 1,500 babies. A passionate voice in the crowd responds, that's just another form of evil incrementalism. It's all or nothing. You used a curse word. I don't like your hair. And didn't I see you walking out of a strip club a few years ago? Thus the crowd was swayed by the passionate all or nothing moralism and the strategic plan to rescue 1,000 to 1,500 babies was dismissed because the fireman had suggested it was an immoral man with bad hair. And they were convinced it was more evil to carry out an iniquitous decree slash plan that only rescued some babies and left other babies to die than to let all the babies die. In the end, the firemen didn't agree on or carry out any plan to rescue any babies because they couldn't manage to get anyone into a position of leadership who was, by their standard, morally qualified and because they couldn't come up with a realistic plan to rescue all the babies in a non-incremental way. They did the only right thing to their minds. They let the daycare center burn to the ground and all 2,500 babies die in the fire except a few who were snatched from the flames at the front door by some volunteer firefighters who didn't realize the hypocritical immorality of saving just a few. 
while the rest burned. I trust you understand the illustration. In real life, incrementalism is so often the only option. You can only save some. You have to prioritize. On a battlefield, you have to prioritize. that These are likely to die. You only have so many men, so many nurses, so many doctors. You only have so much medicine, so many bandages, so much time. You have to prioritize. And so incrementalism is so often in the fallen world what you must engage in order to affect the most blessing in order to affect the most good in the real world. Now, I truly love and greatly appreciate our abolitionist friends' labors for the glory of God, the redemption of sinners, and the rescuing of the unborn outside of abortion clinics. We fight the same law and gospel fight that they fight at the doors of death. We fight the political fight to stop the murder of babies differently. I urge our abolitionist friends to rethink some of their abolitionist movements, political strategy, and teaching. I'm personally deeply thankful for the firemen in the story who used bad words, had a bad past, had bad hair, and had a good plan to strategically rescue many babies. In other words, I'm deeply thankful for President Trump and his Supreme Court justices I'm deeply thankful Roe v. Wade has been overturned. I'm deeply thankful for every precious baby that will be rescued as some states abolish abortion and others pass incremental restrictions that will result in many lives saved. I'm deeply thankful for every life saved through the ministry of God's law and gospel at every abortion clinic's doors of death, even though they can't all be saved. I'm deeply thankful for every court decision and law that saves the lives of unborn babies at whatever month they manage to save them. The total abolition of abortion and saving a baby's lives is still the goal. Faithfully filling our cities with the gospel of Jesus Christ and turning the world upside down for Christ is still the goal and the ultimate answer to every evil, including that of abortion. Again, I remind you, that the Republican President Abraham Lincoln was anti-slavery, but fell well short of advocating for the total abolition of slavery as a presidential candidate. He promised limitations on slavery and said, quote, If the Negro is a man, why then my ancient faith teaches me that all men are created equal? Did you get that? If the Negro is a man, and he was obviously arguing that he is, why then my ancient faith teaches me that all men are created equal and that there can be no moral right in connection with one man's making a slave of another. It was the logical extension and the application of that biblical worldview that led to God using President Lincoln to abolish abortion after he was elected his second term. His second term. President Donald Trump is anti-abortion but falls short of calling for the total abolition of abortion. He has promised limitations on abortion. He has delivered on his promises, including the seemingly possible task of overthrowing Roe versus Wade. And he has repeatedly said, quote, Let us reaffirm a fundamental truth. All children, born and unborn, are made in the holy image of God. Does that not sound very similar to Abraham Lincoln's statement? Recognizing the humanity of the Negro slave, now recognizing the humanity of the unborn child, is the logical extension and application of that biblical worldview that may yet be how God uses President Trump in a second term to abolish abortion in 2024 and the years following. The Democratic Party, the anti-science, unborn babies aren't really human beings party, the Partial Birth Abortion Party, the Global Baby Genocide Party, the Planned Parenthood Party, the Narrow Party, and every other infanticide supporter in the world is terrified God is going to graciously use the anti-abortion, non-abolitionist Republican President Donald Trump to affect the total abolition of abortion. In reality, I believe that's what the January 6th hearings are all about. The Democratic Party hasn't hated a former president been this afraid of a potential presidential candidate or been this mad since Republican President Abraham Lincoln freed their slaves. That's right. The Democratic Party was the 
party of slavery, the party that denied the humanity of the black man. And they are the party of murder, the party of baby genocide, the party that denies the humanity of the unborn baby. Pray with me that their fears come true again. God is pleased to use the non-abolitionist President Lincoln to incrementally bring about the total abolition of slavery in his second term of office. He may yet be pleased to use a non-abolitionist President Trump to bring about the total abolition of abortion in his second term incrementally. Praise be to God. Third point, bear with me. A word on the demise of Roe v. Wade to pro-life Christians. Pro-life Christians. Do you wonder why it took 50 years to overturn Roe v. Wade? Do you wonder why evil is advancing on every front in America? Sinners are perishing. Babies are being murdered in the womb, still in America, even post-demise of Roe v. Wade. Preschool children are learning perversion from story time hour, and K-12 children are being taught to deny their God-given gender and mutilate their bodies by sick activist teachers. Evil prevails when we make peace where God calls us to war. And silence is complicity. And so for nearly 50 years, nearly 50 years, Roe v. Wade has been the law of the land. Why? Well, we say because of the left, because of Democrats. No, it's because of Christians. It's because we have largely been silent. We have not stood up for Jesus. For nearly 10 years... We have ministered the word of God at the door of the abortion clinic. And you know, many, many times we have watched cars with Christian bumper stickers pull into the abortion clinic parking lot. And women get out of them and go inside to take the life of their child. We have watched mothers go invisibly pregnant with Christian t-shirts on, with scripture or cross. I've watched so-called clergy... In Jesus' name, now they're no real clergy, they're no real servant of Christ, and they do not know Jesus. But in Jesus' name, escort young mothers down to the abortion clinic to slaughter their child as a so-called Christian service. I've had an adult daughter escort her young adult mother down to the abortion clinic to support her, even though she says, I am personally pro-life, but I'm just supporting my mother. And she attends what is known as one of the most pro-life churches in the Portland area, a church where Pastor Randy Alcorn, one of the most pro-life pastors in America, pastors. And I had to explain to her, you're not pro-life if you help your mother to murder your brother or sister because you love your mother. You're not actually loving your mother as you're professing to love her so you're supporting her even though you're pro-life. You're not loving her because you're helping her become a murderer before a holy God. And you're certainly not loving your unborn sibling. And you're certainly not loving Jesus, who is the author of life, who authored your sibling's life for his own glory. And she said, well, that's what I'm going to do. And so that's the state of Christianity. We have Christians going to the abortion clinic. We have Christians supporting even their mothers, much less their daughters. We have grandmother professing Christians there to support their granddaughters murdering their grandchildren. What does that tell you? That tells you that the the problem begins at the pulpit, not the pew. The problem begins with the pastors who so covet butts in the seats, they would rather have... Genocide supporting butts in the seats and their dollars in the offering plates than to speak the truth, you shall not murder. And to call men and women who support the slaughter of the unborn child to repentance and to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. They would rather have Democrat voters singing how they love Jesus while they support the slaughter of babies created in Jesus' image for his own glory than to lose them. Or risk losing them. Because, hey, praise God, they might actually get saved. They might actually get saved when confronted with that gross hypocrisy. Look, you're not really a follower of Jesus if you support murder. Do you not know that no murder will inherit the kingdom of God? Thus saith the Holy Bible. Go from me, you who practice lawlessness. Thus saith Jesus. 
yeah, supporting the murder of the unborn is practicing lawlessness. You've got to repent. Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel, the first and consistent message of Jesus throughout his entire ministry. Repent and believe the gospel. You can't skip repentance and just believe the gospel and be a Christian. Oh, I believe the gospel. Jesus is God. He died. He rose again for sinners. I believe that. I'm a Christian. What about repentance? You didn't tag first base. Repent and believe the gospel. We must repent. So a word on the demise of Roe v. Wade to pro-life Christians. Are we really pro-life if we're silent? Are we really pro-life if we won't speak out in our circle of friends, our circle of influence, if we're silent while people are boasting their abortion? We're not really pro-life. How pro-life are we? If you're pro-stealers, like I happen to be, you probably have a Steelers pillow, blanket, t-shirt, something. You probably cheer at the games via television, if not impersonal, because we're a little far to cheer personally without catching a plane. But because you're actually pro-Steelers or pro-Seahawks, what madness is that? I don't know. Uh, you cheer for the team. You, you have bumper stickers on your car. You wear the t-shirts even to church. You risk a church split over your pro-Seattle Seahawk madness. You might offend somebody. And you don't care when you're yelling in your house if some of your other family members are pro-stealers or pro-chargers or whatever or team they might support. You, you don't care because that, that's your team. And you're willing to be loud and proud about your team out in the community. Well, let us stand up for Jesus. For his gospel foremost. But second to his gospel, his law. And his law is a tutor to bring men to Christ to be justified by faith. Galatians 3.24. The law is a tutor to bring men to Christ, be justified by faith. The law shows us our sin. You shall not murder. That is the law of God that today has been violated at will. That for 50 years was the so-called constitutional right of every American, or at least every birthing person in America. There are no birthing persons. There are mothers who are pregnant with a child created in God's image. And so why did it take 50 years to overturn Roe v. Wade? Because pastors played the part of the hireling and not the servant of Christ. Pastors preferred to have people supporting the slaughter of the unborn in their congregation, singing about how they love Jesus, blaspheming Jesus. See, I prefer that sinners get saved. Oh, I love them. I'd be glad they're here. That'd be great. I want them to hear the truth, repent, confess Christ as Lord, and be saved, and then worship Jesus sincerely. And then bring their vote and every other aspect of their life beneath King Jesus. You see, our vote is not our own. Just like our body is not our own. Just like our life is not. Nothing is ours. It's all God's. Jesus purchased us. It's all His. And so a word on the demise of Roe v. Wade to pro-life Christians. How pro-life are we when we drive by an abortion clinic to get our Starbucks in the morning and never stop to consider, should I, should I go and pray? Should I go and talk to someone? Should I go and hold a sign? How pro-life are we when we won't talk to our friends and neighbors and coworkers about casting their vote for life to stop this evil in our land? How pro-life are we when we're so worried about offending someone that we won't say, hey, you shouldn't support murder? Or not, it's just, not just even support it, you shouldn't actually murder. When we know of someone who's in a crisis, quote, crisis pregnancy situation, and we're just silent. And we don't say, hey, you know, I, I can help you, or I know where I can get you some help, but murder is never an option. You can't take the life of your precious child. Look, I know it's a hard situation, it's a hard situation. But murder is not the answer. Just like in hard situations, suicide's not the answer. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Well, the murder of the unborn is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Oh, yes, nine months of pregnancy is inconvenient, but inconvenience does not justify murder. All of my children are still inconvenient, and they're all legal adults, and they're still inconvenient. But that, that doesn't justify taking their life. My grandchildren, sweet as they are at times, are inconvenient. But that doesn't justify taking their life. Old people are inconvenient. They're inconvenient. 
They move slow. They will not get out of the way. They, they don't know the speed limit. They forgot or somehow their speedometers are off or something. They, they drive too slow. Yeah, they, they're just, they're so inconvenient. They, they don't finish their sentences fast enough. We've got to finish them for them. Right now, that would be rude. Don't do that. Right? People are inconvenient. Have you figured that out yet? All people are inconvenient. Inconvenient doesn't justify murder. We need to love God and love our neighbor. And if we truly love our unborn neighbor, we're going to speak. We're going to vote accordingly. And the reason Roe v. Wade took 50 years to overturn is because he wouldn't speak and we wouldn't vote accordingly. And thus, finally, it's, it's overturned. But we're not done. We're not even beginning to be done yet. That's just a start. It's a, it's a huge battle won. But it's just a start. This evil must end, and it will end when Christ returns, or praise God before, when Christ's grace falls in our land magnificently. Now, I know now it seems like, could abortion be abolished? No, that would be just beyond the pale, right? We can't really expect abortion to be abolished. Could slavery be abolished? Do you think it it seemed like it could really happen in early America? No, to most it didn't. Do you think it seemed like it could really happen? Abraham Lincoln, when he was first running for president, his first term? No, I, I bet it didn't. And yet, one step of faith, one step of prayer at a time, one battle at a time, slavery was abolished. The humanity of black men and women was upheld. And once the humanity was upheld, then hey, they have certain unalienable rights given from their creator, the right to life and liberty and pursuit of happiness We must consistently continue to uphold the humanity of the unborn child and grant them the right to life and liberty in pursuit of happiness. And hear me, to do less is is not loving. You know, I just don't want to have conflict. I don't want to have conflict with friends and family, coworkers. I don't want to have conflict because I love people. I love people. It's not loving. It's not loving to the unborn, oh, pro-life Christian, to be silent. It's not loving at all. Nor is it loving to the mother who ends up murdering her child and becoming a murderer and suffering that guilt. Nor is it loving to the mother who has murdered her child and needs to come to repentance and faith and salvation and have her conscience as well as her sins clean before a holy God. Silence is never loving when it comes to murder. And we get that with born people, right? In many states, if someone's being murdered and you do nothing, Oh, you're going to be liable. You're going to be accountable. The state's going to say, hey, uh-uh, you can't just walk on by like nothing was going on there and not call the police, not step in, not do something. You can't do that because human life has value. So you've got to stand up and speak up. Well, human life born, unborn, sick, elderly, young, old, middle-aged, it has value. And so we need to stand up and speak up. But we're not really pro-life. We're just liars and the truth is not in us. We're choosing our best life. Now, we want to get along with everybody, be popular, everyone like us. It's going to be great. A word on the demise of Roe v. Wade to pro-genocide, pro-murder, pro-baby mutilation, Democrat, false Christians, and churches. I have to end with this. Again, a word on the demise of Roe v. Wade to pro-genocide, pro-murder, pro-baby mutilation, Democrat, false Christians, and churches. Christians aren't Democrats, and Democrats aren't Christians. The Democratic Party is a perverted death cult, consciously committed to the violent mass murder of babies and perverting the minds and mutilating the bodies of any surviving children with their disgusting sodomite story times and relentless transgender K-12 programs. If there are Democrats in your church, call them to repent of this astonishing evil to genuinely confess Jesus Christ as Lord, or to get out of Christ's church and to go to Planned Parenthood, a homosexual strip club, or their local DNC headquarters on Sunday to worship the devil they serve. And that's the truth. That's the truth. They need to repent. If they won't repent, they need to leave Christ's church for they do not belong there. Christ's church is for Christ's church. Born again, blood-bought, new creations, who don't support the genocide of the unborn and the perversion of the born. The Democratic Party's message to America, 
can be summed up like this. We may be bankrupting you with our manufactured energy crisis and inflation. We may have opened our southern border to international invasion of illegal aliens, human trafficking, and drug trafficking. We may be dragging you into World War III with Russia and giving Ukraine money you need during the recession we deliberately created. We may have abolished womanhood by letting perverted men in dresses take your spot on the podium, your shower in the woman's locker room, and your stall in the women's bathroom. But don't forget... We'll make sure you can get pregnant by some punk using you like a cheap prostitute and then burn, crush, dismember, and discard your baby like trash. Vote for abortion. Vote Democrat. That's the latest Democratic Party commercial, if they're being honest. Of course, they're not honest. Pastors, no matter what woke social justice lie they justify it with, if there are men and women in your pews Sunday morning singing about how they love Jesus, who voted for Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton, or the Democratic Party's unchecked genocidal slaughter of the unborn, the perversion of children, love them enough to call them to repent and confess Christ as Lord. If they won't repent, love Christ and His church enough to put them out of Christ's church. That's your God-given, biblically defined, non-negotiable job. Do your job or go sell broken-down used cars in a cheap suit. John 10, 13. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Congregants, if you like your church full of unrepentant Democrats who support every vile thing God hates, you're not a real Christian. You're on the broad road. The blasphemous, baby-murdering, sexually deviant, gender-canceling, gender-mutilating path to hell. Repent, confess Christ as Lord, and be saved. If you don't like your church full of unrepentant Democrat false converts singing about how they love Jesus next to you in church while they love you and support the murder of the unborn, love them, love them, call them to repent and to confess Christ as Lord. Love them enough to speak to them and call them to genuine repentance and faith in Christ. Well, there is... Much more to say on the subject. What I've said is not sufficient, and yet it's going to have to be sufficient for today. It's a massive subject. It's worthy of hours of attention. This is America's great sin. This is our great rebellion against God, our sexual immorality, our sexual revolution, graduating to the most horrific genocide the world has ever known. 1.7 billion babies since 1980. 1.7. The demise of Roe v. Wade is, is a massive blow to this culture of death. But it's just the beginning. We must continue to fight a good fight, to speak truth with love, to be at the doors of the abortion clinic, contending for life, ministering the law of God, to be a tutor, to bring men to Christ, to be justified by faith, ministering the law of God, to revive the conscience that they would turn back. And we've seen many, many turn back. Many consciences revived. We've seen mothers come out crying and wailing, say, I can't do it, I can't do it. And they end up hugging us and thanking us. And those babies are alive today. But hear me, if they do not repent and confess Christ as Lord, they may be back another day with another baby in their womb to kill that baby or come back with a friend as we met that one woman who was there thanking us for being there saying that her little boy was at home that very day because we were there ministering the gospel another day. And I said, why are you here today? Oh, oh, I brought my friend. What? So you're thanking us for being here ministering the truth that saved your boy that's at home while you come and help your friend murder another child? Hear me, saints. A man or woman convinced against their will is unconvinced still. And until their will is subject to Christ as king, until they're born again from above, until they're made a new creature, they're still murderers at heart. They're still rebels at heart. They must be born again, which is why our ministry, the ministry, Christ's ministry, our mission is always the Great Commission, is always the ministry of the gospel first and foremost in every venue, including the abortion clinic. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and your word, for this time and this vital topic. Lord, renew our minds, renew our energy, renew our zeal, renew our love for you. Renew our love for mothers who have been lied to, 
mothers who have been deceived, who nevertheless are murderers at heart if they desire to take the life of their children. Renew our heart for mothers who have taken the life of their precious child, that they, Lord, might be murderers no more, but forgiven, that their sins might be removed as far as the east is from the west, that hell would forever be shot to them and heaven forever open to repentance and faith in Christ. Renew our love for our nation, that we would not willingly sit by while our nation rushes headlong to hell, while every vile evil is prospering and righteousness fails in the earth. We pray, Father, you would do a great and glorious work in this nation, that Roe v. Wade being overturned would be just the beginning, that we would live to see abortion abolished. And if you're pleased to use an imperfect man, a sinful man, if you're pleased to use Donald Trump to that end, then Lord, grant him another term. And may he, like President Lincoln, effect true and permanent abolition for your glory and for the blessing of the unborn. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.